So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I pray you bless this message and carry it and help us, Father, to receive from it what you have. May you be well pleased and, and, and blessed by it. Not, not the message in itself per se, but the, the work that you do through the message on the hearts of your people and the response of the heart of your people in regard to your word and your spirit touching their heart. I pray you'll be well pleased with that and that you will be glorified. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Just as I was talking about with the kids, we need to recognize the importance of our roots. And of course, roots are what give the plant life. So you've got to have Jesus first, that main root. And then we have to keep finding ways to plant ourselves deeper and deeper in Christ. And we already discussed the various ways that we can do that. But it's an ongoing thing. We can't assume that just because we're saved that we're well-rooted. We can always become more rooted in Christ. And it's a picture of growing more mature in Christ, more stable in Christ, and stronger in Christ so that Christ can use us even that much more. The Apostle Paul used roots to explain another relationship that we should value as well. It's found in Romans 11, 16 through 18. For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off, and you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. Jesus came from Israel. Israel is the chosen nation of God, right? The physical aspect of that chosen nation of God. We're the spiritual body, spiritual nation in God as well, and physically. But Israel has that clear, distinctive identity. And we know that the branches here that were cut off, some of them that did not believe in the Messiah were cut off, okay, from a relationship with God. As a nation, they don't recognize Jesus as Christ the Messiah. And we know that those that were grafted in, the wild branches, are the Gentiles, that's you and I. And so what Paul is saying here is, I want you to be careful just because Israel as a nation has not, has not received Christ as their Messiah and recognized him as such, we're not to boast against them that we're better than them because we were grafted into them. And it was through the, it's through the planning of God, calling out a people as his own, that the Hebrew people, the, the nation of Israel, would be physical seed of Abraham. And then we, of course, again, are the spiritual seed. And that seed is the, obviously the faith that we have in God, the Messiah. But when we receive Christ as Savior, we are grafted into the tree of God and the Jewish people served as our root system. If there was no Jewish nation, then what would be the historical roots to help support us that they had a Messiah coming and we believed the Messiah that was promised to them and then we received him and were grafted into him. You see how it all <coughs> excuse me, fit together. But if it wasn't there, we can't boast and say, well, we're better than them. If they cut off Christ, we can't say we're better than them because it's still the chosen people of Israel and the nation of Israel. We get that, we understand that. Okay, so there's an element of respect for Israel and a support for Israel because of the, the history and the plan and the purpose that God 
was working a way of redemption through Israel, in which you and I are benefactors of. Some have tried to teach that Christians replace Jewish people because the Jews killed Jesus. You know, remember, our sins put Jesus on the cross. All people, right? There was the physical aspect of the Jews crying out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. But the fact that he was crucified was because it was the preordained plan of God for him to die on the cross for your sin, my sin, their sin, everybody's sin, right? To provide a way of redemption. This particular passage we're going to look at is one of many that puts that false teaching in the rest. It's called replacement theology. Say, well, the Jews rejected Christ when he came and he died and he rose. They rejected him there, so then the church was born, and therefore the church took over and the Jews were thrown to the curb. That's a lie. That's heresy. And the passage we're going to read will make that clear, that, uh, that that's a false teaching. And the truth is, again, all of our sins that Jesus took upon himself, he, laid, he allowed those sins, our sins, to be laid on him, um, and he died for our sins on the cross. What does verse 18 say again? Remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. Paul addresses the false teaching that the beginning, at the beginning of this chapter. Let's go back to Romans 11, 1 through 5. I say then, has God cast away his people? There it is right there. Replacement theology says that Israel was cast away. What a terrible thing to say. Right? So Paul's saying in Romans, 12, Romans 11, 1 through 5, I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. For I also am an Israelite and the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know that the scripture says of Elijah how he pleads with God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars, and I alone am left and they seek my life. But what does the divine response say to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. Always a few that God has reserved for himself. God has not cast off his people Israel because they killed Jesus. One, we know because God promised he wouldn't do that. God always follows through on his promises. And there's always a remnant of true messianic Jews. Okay? Jews that believe in Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. Many of them in Israel have not believed in Jesus as the Messiah. We know that. But God is working in Israel even now to preserve a remnant for himself. As of 2022... There were 185,000 Christians in Israel. We're not talking about tourists. We're talking about, okay, residents. And a portion of those are Arab Christians. God has made many promises to Israel and about Israel, and we know that God always keeps his promises. So God has that remnant there, and he's doing his work. In, in 2 Corinthians 1.20, it says, For all the promises of God are in him are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. When God promises some, something to us, he doesn't take it, take it away. He says, yes, I will fulfill it. And the amen simply means true. It's true. This is what I've promised you. So he, whatever God has promised to Israel, 
and to us is secure because he said so. So let's look at an important promise that God made to Israel in Genesis 12, 2 and 3. You, you guys have an idea where I'm going with this, don't you? Signs of the times. What's, what's the world doing with Israel today? What does God say? What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to you know, keep our focus on it? It's not a polit political platform. It's a spiritual, godly, biblical platform that we're looking at here. Let's look at a very important promise that God made. Okay, in Genesis 12, 2 and 3. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in all... And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The whole earth is blessed through Israel because the Messiah came through Israel. Amen. And that's a base, that's a one solid root right there, one, one basis that tells us for that reason alone we should support Israel. Jesus was a Jew, it's, it's his people, right? Okay? And so we need to remember that. So there are two promises are found in these verses. One, God promised to make Israel a great nation and bless them. Two, God promised to bless those who bless Israel and curse those who cursed them. You know, the fascinating thing about Israel is that for 2,000 years, it was basically dissipated. It was destroyed. The land was, was in, uninhabitable. The people were gone. The language was not known. <laughs> it was... It, it just basically, it was a people group that just disappeared, basically. And their remnants were scattered through the world. Now, there are other nations throughout history, and if you have biblical history or just world history, that those people groups and nations are no longer there, and the ones that aren't, they never come back. They, they don't regenerate. But Israel did. Why? Because God promised it. God said, I will keep my promise. I will make you a great nation. So what year was Israel, did Israel become a nation again? 1948. May 14th, 1948. And that was a great event. Israel now ha had that identity again. And if you watch live TV shows of, of Israel and walking through, there are gardens and there's lushness and there's water and there's the land's being refurbished by God. See, that's a spiritual wonder in itself. Look what God has done with Israel compared to where it was and where it is and where it's going because God has promised. So we are wrong in cursing Israel when we say we have replaced them or that they shouldn't have a right to be a nation in the Middle East. I kind of take replacement theology as Christians being a little bit arrogant because God didn't break his promise to Israel and then carry out his mission through us. Yet, God has called us to carry out the mission of the gospel. After all, the land, they, after all, the land where they are a nation was promised and given to them by God. Genesis 15:18. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. That includes the Gaza Strip and the West Bank. Joshua and Israel originally conquered Gaza in Joshua 10.41. And Joshua conquered them from Kadesh Barnea as far as Gaza and all the country of Goshen, even as far as Gibeon. 
the tribe of Judah inherited Gaza, but eventually, over time, it fell back into the hands of the Philistines. Now, you might be saying, why are you doing this with Israelites, Philistines? Well, first of all, remember that, the, that, that what God promised as territorial land that was given to Israel was what God gave. Does that make sense? God said, this is the land I have given you. This is yours, right? And I'm not pinning against uh, Philistines. Uh, in other words, we need to remember that God loves everybody. He loves the Philistines. He loves Israelites, of course. He loves people of all nations and people's groups. But this battle between Israel and the Gaza Strip is a spiritual battle that is, is there to buffet against Israel because it's the land that God given, had given them. So today we see the Philistines controlling that territory of Gaza and the story of Samson and Delilah later, later in Judges chapter 16. In other words, that, that land, the Gaza Strip, right, was the area of Samson and Delilah, okay, found in Judges chapter 16. And the devil has tried for a long time and continues to to have a strong foothold in Gaza, again, to harass Israel. And not everyone in, Gaza, in the Gaza Strip is evil, but the terrorists are, and they need to be dealt with. Evil is evil, and it needs to be dealt with. That's not categorizing the people as evil, and that's what we need to make sure that you understand, okay, that we all understand that. One day, Israel will have all their land and live in peace in their land. The millennial reign that we're studying in the men's group, you know, so detailed. It's so much information, so much that we haven't even covered. But that's a promise that God has given, and it's going to be a glorious time. And so uh, we need to just understand that that's their land, and God will uphold it and honor it, and he will receive the glory. But in the meantime, as Christians, we need to care for the roots of God's tree. You see that? You see where we're looking? What is our goal as Christians in society? We are to pray for, care for, and love Israel because they're the root system that God set up that brought forth the gospel and which we have re we've received through faith in Christ. You see, the, you see, the, you see that? We, not to look at ourselves as being separate from, but a part of, an extension of the work of God through Israel. When Israel is attacked, we need to stand with them and help them in whatever way God leads us to do. We must pray for Israel. That's the easiest thing we can do. Say, so let's just pray for Israel. Lift them up and uh, continually to, continue to do so. My prayer, is this my prayer is that this battle will end quickly and, and, and it will be over soon and that there will be peace. But in Psalm 122, 6, it says, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. How valuable is that for God? You know what's being said there? If, we're, if we desire for Jerusalem to have peace and we're praying for them, it's a reflection that we love them, and God says, may they prosper. Those who love Israel and pray for Israel will prosper. Now, it's not meant that God is, I'm not saying that so that we can get some extra bonus blessings from God. The point that I'm trying to make here is that God values so much our support for Israel in prayer and love 
that he will bless us if we give that. It's his way of reiterating the importance of that. This verse also tells us we must love Israel. We must love Israel. And what did David say in Psalm 122.9? Because of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Because of the house of God is in Israel, and that makes Israel special. And because of God's presence is linked to that house or temple. So in other words, David is simply saying that he seeks the good of the house of God in Israel. And we're to seek the good of that. Seek the good. Because it's God's people, God's plan, God's, God's um, work that he's doing. Um, so what does seeking Israel's good look like? How, how do we, how do we look, that, look at that? Romans 15, 27. It pleased them indeed, and they are debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. So we need to pray for Israel, but maybe God will lead you to support them somehow, right? Seeking Israel's good can mean financially supporting Israel, right? Being there for them. Why is that important? Why should that be important for us? Because we're, we, we care about Israel. We care about our roots. That is our roots, even though we're of the Christian era, we are connected to, and it's our roots. So there are great ministries that can help you do that, like the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. We give food to seniors in particular. They help a lot there. The Joshua Fund is there to help in this war effort. Those are a couple. Seeking Israel's good could mean you Vote for politicians that support Israel and vote out those that don't. You know, I'm not a political pastor, but I will tell you this, that politics and, and, and the church, when we take a stand for what's right, that's when it's applied. All right? It's not for a, a platform and in a sense to be misused. It's just saying God's word says this. And we should always base our voting and our thinking on what God's word says. And if we do that, God's going to bless that. And so we need to um, just honor that. Um, seeking Israel's good could mean becoming knowledgeable about Israel. So you're able to defend Israel's right to be a nation and be in their land. And you can do that through obviously studying your Bible, reading current news on Christian sites like all Israel news. If you're watching the news and you're seeing the heartache, I'm going to back up here just for a moment off my notes, but Satan hates Israel because it's God's chosen nation. It's always been a point of controversy. And Satan is always going to put the downside on Israel and put the positive side on the terrorists. <laughs> When we hear college students on the news reports saying terrorists are good, their minds have been, have been brainwashed to think evil things because it's not right. It's not true. It's not even common sense to say that people that do the horrific things that they do, that they're good. And this support, supporting anything that supports terrorism and, and the injustices that are carrying on to any country is evil. And to think that evil is good is a reflection of what? 
the world. So Satan is always pointing to the, the, the things of the enemy as being good and then always looking to that which God considers good, Israel, to being bad. So what do you see? You see, you see less empathy for Israel and more for the Palestinians. But remember, we're not talking about Palestinians as a people. We're talking about as in the, in the, in the wickedness of leadership. Right? Because there are a lot of Palestinians that are they're just people. God loves everybody, loves everybody. And so my point, do you see the clear point that I'm making? Satan, the prince of the air of the world, makes Israel look bad and makes any other country that's going against Israel look good. And that's just part of the game plan. But you and I are called as his children, biblically, to stand for Israel. And God said, if you pray for the Israel and you love Israel, that God will, will bless you for that. God will bless you for that. It's kind of like if you had a, a, a group against your family and you were, and, and, your, and, that, and your family was not the popular family and everybody else is cheering on the other family that's against you, but someone comes over into your court as that good family and says, I support you your family, what would that make you feel like? Thank you for supporting me and my family, right? God's saying, thank you for supporting my family, Israel, see? And we need to remember that. I think sometimes as Christians, we, especially the church age, we separate ourselves from Israel and Judaism when really we need to understand we're a part of, we're an extension of that. And we need to be supportive of that. And if anything, remember, it's Jesus' homeland. And we should support his homeland, even if it's not popular. And I hope that makes a little bit more sense there. So, seeking Israel's good could mean praying for Israel. Um, seeking Israel's good could mean praying for Israel becoming a priority in your prayers each day. I tell myself, pray for Israel. I find myself praying for Israel in little spots of the day through the week. But then when I'm in prayer and I'm focusing on all the stuff that I want to pray for, I forget to pray for Israel. And I'm going, what did I do there? So when we close the message, we need to pray for Israel. <laughs> okay? So, let's see here. One so websites like the Jewish Voice have prayer guides for Israel based upon a messianic worldview that you can use. And we should be disturbed by what is going on in Israel right now. But one thing we do know is that God will take care of his people. He has restored them physically to the land, May 14, 1948, but one day they will be spiritually restored as well. You and I know the Messiah. Isn't that the ironic thing? It's the homeland and the roots of Israel that brought forth the Messiah that we came to know as Jesus, giving us salvation. And we're carrying out the Great Commission and reaching out to reach people for, for Jesus, sharing the gospel of Christ. And Israel, as a nation, hasn't recognized Jesus yet as the Messiah, but God is bringing that around to where Israel will be doing the same thing. And we can praise God for that. Um, in Ezekiel 37, 13, and 14, it says, Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves. 
I will put my spirit in you and you shall live and I will place you in our and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I the Lord have spoken it and performed it says the Lord. God will put his spirit in Israel and they will be spiritually alive. Every every Jewish person that put their faith in the coming Messiah like the Old Testament saints and um and even a New Testament saints, a Jewish nation. Do you know what I'm saying? Jews in the Old Testament, Jews even currently, that have put their faith in Jesus Christ. One day, if they die before Christ comes back, God says, I'll raise you all up, and you will physically live in my land and be physically alive and spiritually renewed. And that's a wonderful promise. And you and I, we know when the rapture takes place. And, when Christ comes back and all the dead in Christ shall rise first and those that remain alive shall be changed in a twinkling of an eye. We'll meet the Lord together in the air and then we'll all be together as, as the church age and as, as the Jewish believers putting their faith in the Messiah. We'll all be together forever. And God is working it. And we see that in the book of Romans. God is working to bring both Jews and Gentiles together. Um, and that's so important. So important that the infusion of Messianic Jews and, and Christians are united together in Jesus Christ. It glorifies God. I can't emphasize it enough, and I rely on the Holy Spirit to do that. So, um, God will bring them to the place they need to be to receive Jesus as Messiah, and they will have a new life in him. One day, the nation of Israel will say, you are the Messiah. And they will repent as a nation and they will be receive Christ and they will be filled and be a, a powerhouse of spiritual truth and, and, uh, and, and the love of Christ to all the world. So let's seek the good of Israel and care for our roots. You see the point in the message? The world's gonna make Israel look bad because Satan's the prince of the air of this world. God says, you know who my people are and you're my people too and you pray for Israel, and you take part, and you support. How many of you value the power of prayer? Kind of a redundant question, but we know if you've experienced it, haven't we? We can sometimes feel, um, Bobby Adams, when she was, before she passed away, she said, you know, I can feel everybody's prayers. And it's an amazing thing about something intangible that spiritually can be almost physically felt. And I think we have felt that, that intervention on our, on our behalf. So if the people of Israel can feel the prayers of Christians praying for them in hopes that maybe even they in themselves would come to know Jesus and that Messianic Jews there will stand even that much more bold and firm for Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen.